the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Fill in the blank. All you care about is what? All you care about is your reputation at church. All you care about is being a good dad. All you care about is being a good wife. Or do you care about everything? Do you care about holiness? Do you care about the things that only you and God know about? Join us now for Grace to the Bay as we glorify the Lord Jesus Christ through sound expository teaching by our teacher, Dr. Roger Chen. Grace to the Bay is the radio outreach of Grace Church of the Bay Area located in San Mateo. If you are blessed by Dr. Chen's message and are looking for a church home, you're invited to come worship with them. Now, here is Dr. Chen. Now, in this particular verse, I'm going to give you a little mini-sermon within our sermon because I want to bring out a few nuances about what Paul says here in Galatians 6.4, and really it connects to what we're looking at in 1 Corinthians 11. The first is this examination of our faith, of our lives as believers, is a continuous command. We see this in the Greek tense, the Greek grammar. So this is something we are to do constantly on a regular basis, not just when you feel like you're struggling, not just when you know there's a big sin that you, ha- you are having trouble dealing with, but all the time. It's not the kind of test that once you pass, you're good to go for the rest of your life. Many of us got through high school and college this way. You crammed the night before, and then that morning on the test, you basically vomited all out on that piece of paper, and then you literally, as you're walking out, forgot it all. But you aced the exam, but you just, you're like, I have no need to remember this. I, I don't want to study this. I hated this class, and I'm just going to cram, dump, and then I'm through. We, we can't view this self-examination of our Christian lives this way, okay? This is more closer to that physical exam that you have with your doctor, hopefully on an annual basis, because you never know what kind of malady or disease will creep up on you. You don't say, ah, haven't seen the doctor in 10 years because I haven't been sick. We understand there are things that by the time we feel anything, it's really bad. Cancer and other cancerous-related types of diseases. And so we go for uh, annual or biannual checkup. And then what do we do? We do something about it. We change our diet. We get shots. We go to chemo. We see a specialist. We get a second opinion. But we need to do this on a regular basis. The second point I want to bring out about this is this is a command to all believers. In Galatians 6, 4, it says, Each one, everyone, must examine his own work. This work of scrutiny is to be done by every person on himself. Nobody is exempt, and nobody is to disregard examining himself or herself, especially not to just focus on other people. Examine yourself. 
Thirdly, an examination of this sort presupposes an external standard. You go to a doctor because they're trained as a doctor. They understand biology. They, they understand virology. They understand things about the body and diseases and sicknesses and bones and muscles and things like that. They understand. They have an external standard. You cannot have a successful medical, physical, unless there is a standard of what healthy looks like, what a healthy cell should look like, what a properly functioning arm or leg looks like. Our standard and the type of examination spoken of here, of course, is the Word of God. Fourthly, we are to examine ourselves so that we can boast in the Lord for what He has done. We boast in the Lord. We look, and if we see that things are going well, that we are obeying, that we are striving, then we praise God for that. Not so we can pat ourselves on the back, not so we can be proud, and even in the clear choice of words here, his own work, not so we can criticize or look down on others. I will say to you what I say to my boys, worry about your own heart. Worry about your own heart. Now, of course, there is a place for biblical rebuke and confrontation and iron sharpening iron, but, and Jesus talks about this, but even Jesus says, first deal with the log in your own eye before dealing with the speck in another's eye. Because we are talking, after all, about your own ability to take communion, not his or her or that guy's. And if you truly understand the seriousness and severity and significance of communion, you will be, frankly, too overwhelmed to be bothered by that guy's sin. Why is he taking communion? You'll be quivering in your own seat. So to summarize these two general areas of self-examination, you could simply say it's faith and works. Do you have true saving faith? And if you do, how are your works? And we understand works in the Christian life in the Bible includes having the right heart. This self-examination, again, as I mentioned earlier, is not just to get test results. Hmm, ah, got a B plus, not bad, shuffle it away. But it's to take those results and fix the problems. One of my favorite teachers I've ever had in my life was in junior high. His name was Mr. Smith. He allowed us to call him Smitty. He taught the languages. In my junior high, there were two. He uh, was fluent in both Spanish and French. He taught both. And he was one of those teachers that we really liked because he wasn't your conventional teacher. Looking back, this is not the best thing, uh, but he used profanity quite a bit. But he used profanity because he was passionate about us learning the languages. He wasn't just doing it as a job. He cared about us. He was passionate that we excelled. And I remember one particular day, it was the day after our exams, and he passed back our tests. And as all students do, the first thing you do is you look at the grade. And a lot of people would just look at the grade and just kind of put their test in their folder in their backpack. But what Smitty would do is he would go through the test so that you would know all the right answers in case you got some wrong. But I remember that a lot of the students just kind of checked out. They weren't even following along as he was going over the exam. And he stopped and he exploded and said, all you care about is your bleeping grades. And he was saying, follow along so you learn from your mistakes. You see, he was saying, rather than just know your grade and just care about that, care about why you got that grade. Learn from your mistakes Look at the exam and fix 
the problems. And in the same way, the Christian's spiritual self-examination is not just to see where we land on the scale of holiness, but to go back and fix the mistakes and be holier and excel still more. Fill in the blank. All you care about is what? All you care about is your reputation at church. All you care about is being a good dad. All you care about is being a good wife. Or do you care about everything? Do you care about holiness? Do you care about the things that only you and God know about? Do you care about the things that, frankly, may have absolutely zero practical implication on anyone at church, anyone in your family, anything in your life, but it is sin? We need to deal with it. Sin confessed, repentance manifested, reconciliation sought, restitution made. And on a practical note, this is very helpful in the midst of our busy and frenetic lives because as Christians, we need to be constantly evaluating ourselves to look for sin. So much sin we don't even recognize. We don't even know is there. That's why we need the body. That's why we need each other. That's why we need to be engaged in worship, reading the Bible, listening to sermons so we know So we know what's there. So we know what's sin. But quite simply, this is helpful because it gives us a regularly scheduled opportunity to examine our lives. Listen, if you're really busy, it's okay to put it on your Google calendar, your task list. There's nothing unspiritual about that. Examine self. If you're so busy that you have to schedule date night, which is, frankly, single people, very normal, It's a good thing. If you need to schedule mommy-daughter time, daddy-son time, if you need to schedule going to the grocery store, that's okay. You can schedule these things too. Schedule your quiet times. Schedule your self-examination. Schedule a drive out to Half Moon Bay or Pacifica. Look at the ocean and just self-examine. Or just do it on your commute tomorrow morning. Practice self-examination. We've seen prize of significance, practice self-examination. Thirdly, our third and final step in preparing for communion, perceive the symbolism. Verse 29, for he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. There's a threat there. There's a warning. The eating and drinking here are still, of course, the elements of the Lord's table. And we already saw in verse 27 that the one who takes of the elements in an unworthy manner is guilty of the body and blood of Jesus Christ, that is to dishonor he whom the bread and cup represent. Then we saw that the best defense against this trespass is to practice a thorough self-examination, thorough being self-examination plus response to that examination. And now we see that if that self-examination or its results are ignored, then judgment is the result. And again, we are talking to and about believers. Judgment, as in a court of law, is the result of an action or a decision on the part of the great judge. And the judgment for believers is chastisement. It is discipline. It is not the wrath that only unbelievers face. This is different than condemnation, which the unbeliever faces and will be distinguished when we get to verse 32 next week. And we'll talk about this more in depth next week as we see what the judgment on the Corinthians was. But suffice it to say, God disciplines His children because He loves His children. It's the same way reason you discipline your children. 
It's the same reason, though you may have not realized it, and I know there are unfortunately sinful exceptions, it's the same reason your parents disciplined you, whether it's spanking or sit in the corner or whatever it may be. But we discipline because we love. The goal of discipline is not just to get your anger out. The goal of discipline is to help the individual grow. That's why we discipline our children. Once is fine. You didn't know better. But I'm going to discipline you. The next time you try to touch that blue flame on the stove, because I want to teach you not to do that again. And that's why the Lord disciplines us. Just like in your own home, discipline takes place when a wrong is committed. For God, that wrong is sin, any sin. And contextually, the sin is not judging, literally distinguishing or determining, not judging the body rightly, he says, in the context of communion. He disciplines when we don't judge the body rightly. I want to, be, to clarify something for you here. This is not referring to our, our own bodies in terms of the self-examination. This is talking about the body of Christ represented in communion. If you don't judge the bread, the body of Christ rightly, when taking communion, you may face God's discipline. This goes back to what we talked about last week in recognizing and appreciating the seriousness of the Lord's table. When we come without a proper reverence for God and acknowledgement of the holiness of the Lord's table, then you are subject to discipline. And again, discipline comes to correct sin and sinful behavior. And in order to fully appreciate why the Lord's table is so so important that just having the wrong mindset could incur God's discipline, you really have to go back to last week's lesson. Part of this, though, is the fact that we are commemorating the new covenant. And back in chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, we saw very clearly what happened to Israel when they were unfaithful to their covenant. Tens of thousands slaughtered. To be clear, as a side note, it's not that sin doesn't matter or isn't disciplined by God outside of communion. But the significance and holiness of communion heightens the depth of that sin because you are approaching and commemorating God with an unrepentant heart. My wife and I are very strict with screen time. My boys need permission to even get on the iPad that belongs to them. I am very strict about reminding them that I gave it to you, but I bought it. It's mine. But this iPad, he actually won in a school raffle. It's his. (laughs) But we still dictate how much time they get on it. We don't like it when they disobey and they get on the iPad without permission, sneak into their closet or whatever it may be. That's bad enough. But you understand how it would be especially bad if he was sneaking in under the table when it's family time at dinner in the very presence of the one he is disobeying. You get that? Sin is still sin in God's eyes. But there is something particularly egregious and in your face and rebellious to do it at the Lord's table. 
And so we need to perceive the symbolism. Yes, symbolism. But still, the importance of that symbolism. We get that. We get the importance of symbols. I saw some of you physically sit upright when I mentioned the burning of the flag because it bothers you because you care about this country. And some of you, thankfully, have fought for this country in the military. And that is the perspective we need to have of the symbolism of the bread and the cup. I want to close by taking a few minutes by explaining some dangers of how we can take this unworthily on a more big picture, sometimes even theological level. So we've seen three steps in preparing for communion. Prize the significance, practice self-examination, perceive the symbolism. And I want to give you a a, a few uh, issues that kind of help you have the right, right mindset. Some of these won't resonate with you. Some of these you've heard of but you know are totally wrong and you would never do them. But I want to share with you some dangers that would lead you to take them in an unworthy manner, understanding that the primary way, of course, is unconfessed, unrepented sin. That should be your main concern. But there are other issues floating around. The first, I'm going to give you a bunch of isms. The first is ritualism. Ritualism. And under this, I I put following certain views that are unbiblical. They are man-made. The first under ritualism is something that you may have heard of called transubstantiation. It is practiced uh, most commonly and created by the Roman Catholics. The priest consecrates the bread and the wine, and at the moment that he consecrates it, they believe that the body and blood of Christ is actually present. In other words, the liquid and the bread actually become the physical body, the flesh, and the physical blood of Jesus Christ. And thus, though it does not taste like it, you are eating the flesh and drinking the literal blood, literal, not symbolic, blood of Jesus Christ. Since it is a sacrament of the Catholic Church, it is thus taught that taking these elements can actually get you to obtain forgiveness of sins. So, I can actually trick a child or, you know, shove it in an unbeliever's mouth and because they swallow those elements, they're forgiven of their sins. Transubstantiation. Martin Luther came along, obviously didn't like that view, so he came up with what's called consubstantiation. Lutherans still practice this. They didn't want to go so far as to say that it became the body and blood of Jesus Christ. So they say, well, there's a real physical presence of Christ's body, quote, in, with, and under the elements of the bread and the wine. It was a sort of compromise to not agree with Catholics, but still kind of agree with Catholics. Ritualism. Going along with something that's unbiblical because your church or your religion teaches it is taking the elements in an unworthy manner. And think about it. 
to actually approach these elements thinking that you could be saved through them, that's no good. And the clear testimony of Scripture tells us that Jesus, again, didn't cut a piece of his flesh and bleed into a cup and give it to the disciples. He said, this is as it represents. We talked about this last week. Uh, The second ism that could lead you to take it unworthily is individualism. Individualism. Again, back then they took it with Passover, but then in the early church they would have this meal, which we saw that the Corinthians are, are perverting. But the bread and cup was one loaf of bread broken and passed among the people. Take this bread in remembrance of me. And it was one cup or at least one symbolic cup that the the guest of honor or the head of the household would lift up and let's take this together. Some churches still do that where they'll break a big uh, piece of bread and they'll pass it out and then they'll pass around one single cup. It, It really emphasized the unity and the fellowship of the church. There's no indication in the New Testament of communion being done outside of a local assembly of believers. I get that there are some people who can't make it to church. I miss communion. Can you come to my house and, house and take communion? And, and uh, you know, maybe some people are given communion on their deathbed. But again, a lot of times we do that because of our thinking of transubstantiation where I need to take this before I die because I need my sins forgiven. And so that's why often it's the priests you see at the church doing this, along with last rites. Individualism. And we also saw uh, the danger of this back in 1017 when we read, Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Communion is one of the strongest markers of fellowship. Communion is one of the key indicators that we all believe the same thing and we're in it together. Participating in all that entails our being together, emphasizes our togetherness. Not only does our communion identify us with Christ, it identifies us with one another. Identifying with Christ is identifying with all who are in Christ, and communion helps us with that. Thirdly, formalism. We've talked about this going through the motions without the right heart. Formalism. We've talked about this a lot. This is one of the main themes of this whole passage, this whole series. I want to add that there is another sinful and dangerous act of formalism. This is important. I have yet to mention this, but this is formalism, and it is dangerous, and it is taking, actually not taking, communion in an unworthy manner, if I can put it this way. So, formalism is just going through the motions of taking communion without the right heart, yes, but also just going through the motions of not taking communion. What do I mean by this? There are some who don't take communion once in a while because they understand this passage and have unconfessed sin, and that is a wonderful thing. But sometimes people get so used to not taking communion and not confessing their sin and not dealing with their sin, they get just used to, well, I just don't take communion anymore. That's another twisted form of formalism, and it's very bad. It is avoiding communion in an unworthy manner. Now, I'm not saying in any way to take it in an unworthy manner so somehow you'll take it in a worthy manner. I'm saying deal with your sin and stop being used to coming. And our church, the first Sunday of the month, ah, didn't have time to deal with it this month. Deal with it today. Right now, 
It's so much worse to just be content with your sin than to have the right heart attitude once a month. We need to have the right heart attitude all the time. Take it seriously. And then finalism, universalism, this usually would be more something that church leaders are guilty of. You've been to churches this where they stand up and say, we're taking communion today, and if you do not have a relationship with Christ, no matter where you are, you are free to take this communion. No, you are not. You're free in the sense that we're not going to manhandle you and force you not to take it because we don't know your heart. We don't know where you stand. But God is very clear. This is for believers only. And so if you are in a place where you can declare that or decide upon that in your church or in your organization, understand that this is a gross misappropriation of communion to say that anyone can take it. It's universalism. It's a practical, it's just a practical offshoot of universalism as a belief. All, everyone goes to heaven. You know, universalism has gone, gone so far that some are now saying, if you are an atheist, as long as you are a committed atheist, you'll go to heaven. It's sickening. But in our passage, in our text, take communion seriously. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body. This has been Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. For the next part in this series, join us next week at this same time. Grace to the Bay is the radio ministry of Grace Church of the Bay Area, practicing and proclaiming the purity of biblical truth. You are invited to join them for worship services in San Mateo, Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit gracebayarea.org for service times, directions, live streamed services, listen to archived sermons, or to make a tax-deductible donation to help keep Grace to the Bay on the air so that we can continue to share Pastor Roger's teaching with you each week. Again, that's gracebayarea.org. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.